Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the show. Simon here. This week's theme is radical vulnerability and my guest is filmmaker Max Lowe. Now Max's father was Alex Lowe, the greatest mountain climber of his generation. Days before Max's 11th birthday, his father Alex was killed in an avalanche while on expedition in the Tibetan Himalaya. Alex Lowe's best friend and climbing partner Conrad Anker escaped from the avalanche with his life but was left racked with survivor's guilt. He headed back to the States, compelled to help look after Alex's three sons, the eldest of whom is Max. Conrad then ended up marrying Alex's widow, Jennifer, and adopting the three boys. 17 years later, two climbers attempting the same route in the Tibetan Himalaya discovered Alex's body. Max, Conrad, and the rest of the family flew out to recover his remains, and the journey was understandably hugely impactful and the trauma that had laid buried in Max and his younger brothers for all those years also rose to the surface. Max then set out to make a documentary film about what happened called Torn, in which he and the rest of his family examine those long buried feelings. It turns out to be a painful but ultimately cathartic experience that clearly illustrates the power of radical vulnerability. Max recognised that to release his trauma, he first needed to face it and share it. And that's a lesson so many people can learn from. And it was a pleasure chatting to Max about it. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey, Max, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Yeah, good. I'm delighted to talk to you. I... Want to say congratulations on Torn. It's a fantastic film full of rich themes from trauma to acceptance to 
humility to humanity to love to redemption. I mean, you name it, I could really go on. And I'm delighted to see how well received it's been. I've read quite a few reviews and they're all absolutely glowing. So first things first, congratulations and you must be chuffed. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, it's been a wild journey bringing it to the world. It was certainly a journey making the film, but um, sharing it and seeing how it's landed with different people uh, across the globe has, has been truly remarkable. You said it's a remarkable, it's been a remarkable journey. Was there a particular moment outside of the story itself, but in terms of the decision to make this film, when the journey started? Can you remember when it, a fire was lit in you to get this done? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really all started at, um, at this event here in Montana, just outside of Bozeman, where I live, uh, called Hatchfest. It's a creative summit where they bring together people who are pushing the edge in whatever world they exist in to come together for a weekend and, and do some talks and presentations and hang out with one another. But uh, a friend of mine who, who works at the event and, and is one of the founders of the event um, asked me to come speak about my experience in Tibet. This was September after we had returned to Tibet to recover Alex's remains. And I hadn't really thought about it all that much up until that point. You know, it was this beyond fiction type of thing that you just never would imagine happen in your life. And so I think after we returned from it, it remained that it kind of just remained this thing that I didn't really know how to stake in real terms in my own mind and analyze how it had actually affected me. And so when I went to speak about this experience at Hatch, I mean, I, I didn't really know what to say, to be honest. So I just talked about the timeline of the journey and the things that I was experiencing and going through as I was traveling through Tibet with my family to this, to this mountain where my father was killed you know, 18 years prior. And it kind of all hit me on that stage all at once. And I broke down and broke into tears and, um, this fear and pain that I had been harboring for a long time kind of felt like it all started to emerge a little bit, or at least I caught a glimpse of it for really the first time. And, you know, I think returning to Tibet brought this trauma that I had experienced as a 10 year old kid back to the surface. But that was really the moment where I realized how big it was within me and how powerful sharing it with people beyond just the immediate sphere of my personal trust could be, you know, not only for myself, but for those people as well. And, um, it was at the end of that speech that I actually was like, and I'm, I'm going to make a film about this. And that film is a way by which I'm to explore this. You summarized it beautifully there, because as you know, I want to talk to you about that talk and, the process of being as vulnerable as you were and the implications, not just for yourself, but anyone listening, because we all go through traumas, albeit not quite as dramatic as yours, obviously. Um, so we'll definitely come back to that. But for the uninitiated, for the unaware, let's let's tell that timeline. 
and yeah. let's revisit the story and start by talking about who Alex Lowe was. And it's fair to say, really, he was he was recognized to be the greatest mountain climber in the world. I think that he was recognized as probably you know, one of the best mountaineers of his time, definitely up there amongst legends. I'm coming from within and as the son of, so it's hard to stand by that claim. But if you ask his peers, I think that they would probably definitely corroborate. Yeah. Um, Take Comrade Anchor, who obviously is another fundamental player in this whole story, who was his climbing partner, his best friend, and as we will discuss, um, becomes a whole lot more than that. He said, you know, we're all in this class and then there's Alex. So from a climbing perspective, he was a Superman figure, really. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, it stemmed from his exuberant attitude towards everything he did in life. He was just like 100% or nothing. And climbing grabbed him at a pretty young age. And that was what drew him in. You know, it, it could have been anything, you know, I think, but he found climbing and decided that that was what he wanted to do with his life. So he, he put everything on the line and that's what really drew him into the upper echelon of that world. At putting everything on the line is another key element of the story you told because that everything was you, your brothers, your mother, ultimately. But just to pick up on something you said, he was all or nothing. So, you know, 100% or or 0%. And this kind of gets alluded to in Torn. Your mother said, for example, he was always itching to go out on this next expedition. I mean, and there was obviously the time, for example, when, was it Antarctica? He was in Antarctica or, or somewhere similar one Christmas instead of being with you and your brothers. And, but the implication was that he would get very antsy and frustrated if he couldn't go off and be doing this extreme sport, which obviously um, gave him an just huge joy and huge presence. And, and I know that's something that, you know, mountaineers and, and climbers and these type of people get in spades from what they do, but, why do you think he perhaps struggled to be still then? I feel like I understand it because it's in me too as a son and it's in my brothers. I see it in them and it's different. You know, none of us have pursued mountaineering or any sport as our career. And I, and I think really anyone who, who has that itch can understand it. Like the itch for motion like if you if you aren't in motion in life, you feel like you're drowning. And I feel like that's probably what what Alex experienced on a day to day basis. You know, he he found this passion for climbing, you know, he threw himself into it and then it became his job. And so not only was he getting this amazing experience of pushing his own personal boundaries in the mountains and having the resources and the partnerships to do it because of his emerging stature in that world. But, you know, then it also became his job and there was stories about it and films and 
it just kind of became this snowball that if it ever stopped, probably felt like a huge weight. And I felt that last year when we were waiting to release Torn, to be honest, because for the last 12 years, I've been working um, for myself as a photographer and filmmaker. You know, this is my first feature documentary film, but I've constantly been going from one thing to the next and always seeking that next summit and and that next feeling of pushing my own personal boundaries and and we finished torn in the spring of 2020 february of 2020 and then we all went into lockdown like everyone else in the world did um and it was supposed to come out that fall and so when all the festivals canceled we um made the collective decision to hold the film uh, so we could do an in-person release this this fall and so I was just kind of sitting on my hands for a year and doing odds and ends of different things. But I thought a lot about, you know, what Alex must have felt when, when he wasn't planning his next trip or thinking about what, what came next, you know, stuck in this limbo. And I struggle with some of the same things, I think. I fully understand that. And for example, the presence and the joy and the flow that one experiences when you're doing something you love. But at the same time, I was reminded or a thought popped in my head when you were speaking then, Blaise Pascal's quote, all of men's problems could be solved if they could sit in a room quietly <laughs> on their own. So this is kind of a, a human problem isn't it or a human not necessarily a problem but a human affliction this difficulty that so many of us have to just be totally yeah and i think it's some something that anyone can relate to but when you find that flow state where you're just moving from one thing to the next without any inhibiting force there's no feeling in the world like that and once you feel it there's no going back it's interesting a lot of great philosophers say actually that feeling, that state is in us the whole time. And you said earlier, your father, Alex, found climbing, but it could have been other things. So it's, it's almost like we need to find that thing that can point us in the direction of something that's already in us. Does that resonate? Totally. Yeah, yeah. I think it's cheesy, you know, when you graduate from college and you're wondering what you're going to do with your life and you, you ask people who have been successful in their own lives, it's like, Usually the advice is find something you love <laughs> and just run with it. And as cheesy as it is like that, that is the best advice because yeah. that's where you're going to be able to find some stem of that flow state and maybe find yourself in it one day. I totally agree. People write that statement or that advice off, don't they? As oh, it's, it, it's hackneyed, it's corny. But it's spot on. I call it following my intuition. You know, your feelings tell you which path to follow, I think. Um, and following it tends to be a good idea. Now, let's get back to Alex. So he was, in the course of my research, I found out he had some pretty funky nicknames. One was the mutant. Another was the lungs with legs. He was rumored to do 400 pull-ups a day even if he was spending a day in an airport. Do you remember any of these superhuman physical attributes to him? Oh, yeah. I mean, 
I was still fairly young when, when we started going out adventuring, you know, my parents took us out into the outdoors from day one. You know, I was out camping with my parents when I was one years old. Huh. Uh, and so I got to go on some adventures with Alex. You know, I, I got to go climb the Grand Teton with him right before his death, which was this big climb in, in Wyoming, just south of us here in Montana. And, you know, he tempered his <laughs> his superhuman abilities to <laughs> let his son uh, keep up with him. But uh, I remember we lived in the Tetons for some summers when I was a kid, uh, when Alex was still uh, guiding for Exum, this guiding company down there. And, and he would just leave us in the morning and, you know, he, he might be guiding for a whole day or a half day, but whether or not he was working all day long, he would be gone all day because he would just be in the mountains all day long. And most of my observations of his superhuman abilities have been secondhand from stories. But I mean, even just there in the Tetons, he held the record for the fastest time on, on this route that crosses five different mountaintops in the Tetons. Uh, and he did it in tennis shoes huh. and it's a route that, you know, takes people multiple days sometimes to do. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he, he just had this like superhuman exuberance for getting out there and, and especially for being fit. I and mean, he was just supremely fit. I remember as a kid, he had his pull up bar in our garage and he would literally just be doing pull ups for like an hour straight. He would start at one pull up and then incrementally go up from there, like one, two, three, four, five, like up to a hundred in a row. So it, wow. it would not just be a hundred pull-ups. It would be like up to a hundred pull-ups starting at one. Wow. Right. <laughs> That's epic. Yeah. Anyway, let's just fast forward because you were a few days short of your 11th birthday, weren't you? On October the 5th. 1999 so can you just tell us what happened yeah um so alex and a team of his friends and partners set off on this expedition to go climb and ski shishapangma which is among the highest peaks in the world it's in tibet uh, just across the border from nepal and um they weren't more than i think they probably left early september so there were a few weeks into this trip they hadn't yet summited and they had a scouting day that they decided to go out and look at the route that they were going to ski down this mountain. So they didn't have all their gear. They didn't have beacons. You know, they were just walking basically and decided to take a shortcut across the bottom of the glacier instead of going through the rocks below because it was just faster and easier. And um, it was Alex, Conrad, and the young filmmaker who was the high altitude filmmaker on the trip, David Bridges, um, and a huge avalanche ripped out from a cornice high up on the peak and, um, grew in size as it came down, you know, avalanches are fairly common. You know, you see them a lot when you're in the high mountains. And so, you know, they didn't have any reason to believe that this was a particularly dangerous place, but you know, it's just chance that it happened to be an extra big one. And Alex and David ran across the slope and Conrad ran down and backwards 
and um, Conrad survived the avalanche, and Alex and David were buried and were never recovered. You know, that all occurred during the day in Tibet. Uh, I don't. I don't think we got the news until some hours later here in the U.S. But uh, I don't. I don't remember much personally from that day. But I think I woke up. You know, my mom woke me and my two brothers up and walked me and Sam to school. We went to school together up at uh, the elementary school that's about six blocks away from our house. And dropped us off at school, and you know, I do remember that she and her friend showed up about two hours later and pulled us from class and brought us out to the car. And that's when she told us that, that Alex had been buried in an avalanche and I didn't know if he was going to come home. Do you remember how you felt at that time? I mean, I don't have like a tangible grasp on my emotions from that time, really, to be honest. And it, and exploring all this, you know, talking with my brothers about it. I think my brothers actually have a lot more uh, concrete memories from that time. Or my younger brother, Sam, does, my middle brother. Our youngest brother, Isaac, was like three years old, so he yeah. doesn't really remember much at all. But I think I honestly kind of blacked out a lot of that yeah. memory because it was just a heavy, traumatic hit to my psyche. Sure. So, so you kind of unconsciously buried it within for yeah. the next, for the next couple of decades. Yeah, and then the film still uh, the scene that still haunts me personally is that shot of me at my eleventh birthday, looking at the candles on the cake, and where I say that I was frozen with Alex. You know, he was frozen in the glacier and. I was kind of emotionally frozen and mm. buried in a different way. Yeah. And that's the classic response, isn't it? We hear about fight or flight, but something that often doesn't get as much of a mention is freeze. And uh, another scene that really obviously impacted me was when you're watching the footage of what happened on that day for the first time, and you're being warned by the editor in there, look, this isn't going to be fun. You know, this is going to be a hard watch for you, Max. And, and it was obviously, and the camera's on you. So again, you're, you're being vulnerable and, and sharing it with the audience. What was that like? Um, it was intense. I think at that point I had overcome a lot of my fear of experiencing all of that stuff. Honestly, I think when I spoke about the film at Hatch and, and kind of broke through that initial wall to see everything that had been hidden from me beneath my own psyche and made this declaration to myself that I was going to tell this story and do whatever it took to do so for me as well as my family and you know, hopefully for anyone else who might be able to share the story with us in, in the form of a movie. You know, I steeled myself to, to doing all this. And before that, I, I don't think I ever would have, you know, I would, before I set out to make Torn, you know, throughout years of my life since Alex's death, you know, I'd, I would occasionally like pull up a video of him on the internet because there are plenty of them. And just watching a few 
few minutes of him on tape was hard because it, it just brought everything back to this reality in, yeah. in a sense that I just wasn't prepared to really face at that point. And, and I think watching that footage from Trisha Pangma, the uncut raw footage from his last moments of life, it was important. It was important for me to know who he was in that way and see him in this moment where in his prior career, maybe he had doubted whether he could balance his family and his passion, whether he could balance the place where he found flow state with the place that he found the most meaning in life and his love for his family. And even if he didn't really talk about it all that much, just see him there and also just see Conrad as well. Yeah. To see that raw footage of Conrad going through that moment and these scenes in, in the tent after the event where he was being bandaged and fully reconciling what had just happened. You know, the fact that his, best friend had been killed and and he was going to have to go back and face his wife and kids just to see, see his face and the feelings behind his eyes. And it was intense, but it was also, it was like pulling back a curtain on all these things that had occurred that have shaped my life in huge ways that I kind of just took at face value for so much time and really examining that that trauma the trauma that conrad experienced the trauma that my mom experienced and the trauma that me and my brothers all experienced you know we still carry it to this day of course and so understanding it you know started with i think watching that footage you mentioned conrad things moved fairly fast after the accident conrad and Alex, your father, had discussed Alex's desire to take you to Disneyland. And mm-hmm. Conrad very quickly had something to hold on to in that he was like, I'm going to do for Alex's family what is now unable to do. And he showed up at your door. And then obviously things moved in a somewhat unexpected direction. So, yeah, can you just... Uh, briefly tell us the story of how Conrad came to adopt you and your brothers. Yeah. Um, well, in the wake of Alex's death, I think Conrad was especially hard hit. He's a very empathetic person. And so more so than anyone else on the trip, more so than Alex's other climbing partners, you know, he felt this hit. And I think partially also because he looked up to Alex as a mentor, maybe more than the rest of them did. You know, he felt this absence of Alex, not only for himself, but for us. You know, he, he had, sorry, just to interrupt, uh, Max, he had a touch of sort of the, the Robin to Alex's Batman, if you like, in terms of their relationship, yes. you know, the dynamic duo, but with Alex as the Cape Crusader. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was younger than Alex too. Yeah. So I think when he came back and, you know, he, he came to Bozeman for Alex's ceremony only 
10 days or something after the accident. So he came back from Tibet and then immediately came to Montana to be with us for his ceremony of life. And, you know, I think he and my mom immediately felt this closeness through this shared experience of grief and loss. And it's not at all shocking to me that, you know, in retrospect and examining all this as an adult now that that happened, um, I think anyone who has gone through any sort of momentous or gravitous event in life with someone, you know, you feel a closeness that you just don't feel in your everyday life experiences. It can be something from the likes of a, a sickness to some sort of strange event to a loss, a huge loss like this, you know, there's just something about seeing the world as a more complex and deep place than maybe we perceive it on a daily basis and sharing that with someone that allows you to be closer with them. Yeah. And, you know, I think he and my mom just found solace in one another's understanding of who Alex was and the hole he left in their lives. And in that they came together and, uh, I think it was, I don't remember exactly when we went to Disneyland with Conrad, but it was kind yeah. of an escape from our world here in Bozeman that had been so intense after Alex's death. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And there's a scene in the film where you're squealing on a roller coaster that is a real tearjerker, you know, next to Conrad, something that Alex had, you know, always uh, wanted to do. And then, uh, so Conrad and, and your mother got married and your brothers obviously took to him more easily than you because of primarily that difference in age gap. So you're, I think, um, Sam's your middle brother, isn't he? Yeah. 
So yep. Sam is what four years younger than you? Yep. Yeah. So once Sam's... we've had our birthdays, we're all four years apart. Right. Okay. That's a nice bit of symmetry. So they both, for example, took Conrad's surname, whereas you didn't. And so throughout your teenage years, your your twenties, I mean, even it seems right up until the catharsis of this film, there was that slight difficulty that you had in accepting Conrad, obviously partly because of you had all those extra years with, with Alex where, you know, you had more memories. There was a deeper attachment in many ways, all those kind of things. But um, what we spoke about earlier about you saying that when Alex died, your trust in love died, that seemed to really inhibit and, affect your ability to accept Conrad yeah I mean I think when you're a kid before you ever experience any sort of real life adult trauma that smashes your understanding that the world is a perfect and safe place to just go about your business and do whatever you might want to do you know you have this inherent trust that everything is good and everything is sound and the fact that Alex I had total trust that he would always come home. He went off on these adventures, but I trusted that, I guess, that we were important enough that he would never put himself in harm's way um, to the point that he might be killed and, and not come home. And so when that happened, that trust was broken in me. And, you know, I think that that was part of what played into my difficulty in accepting Conrad as a father figure when he stepped into our lives. But also I think the fact that we never got this closure of Alex's body coming back to us and and seeing him, you know, it left this open-ended story in my mind that he might still be alive for years. Let's move things forward. If that's right, then Max to spring 2016, when you've been, a family with Conrad for many years by this point, life's moved on. And then all of a sudden you get the call. Yeah. So in, in 2016, two climbers found these two bodies. They were attempting to climb Shishapangma, the peak that Alex and, and David had been killed on. And in the glacier below the peak, they discovered the remains of these two climbers and judging by the clothing they were wearing you know, the time period that it was from, you know, they, they thought that it might, might be Alex and David. And they called my, my dad, Conrad, who was actually in Nepal at the time with my mom celebrating their wedding anniversary. And, um, you know, Conrad knew right away that it was them judging by the descriptions that, that David and Uli, um, pervade to him. And then, I was the first person they called. They knew that before long, it would become international news, which it did because of who Alex was in life. He was this person who was known the world across. And so they knew as soon as this discovery of the bodies became public, that it would be international news again. They wanted our family to have some time to sit with it before that. So when my mom called me and told me, yeah, it it hit me like a ton of bricks. It wasn't ever something that I ever expected to happen, to be honest. For me, I think that I was just living in that 
mindset of 10 year old Max, you know, frozen in this place with Alex and frozen in this reality where Alex had just disappeared, never to return, never to come back to us and never to force us into facing the trauma of his death and loss. So when I got that call from my mom, it's like the whole world kind of just flipped my place in it and my understanding of my own reality just became something new. And then as a family, you decided to head out there to retrieve Alex's body. And Mm -hmm. obviously it's an incredibly hard moment for all of you. And, you know, to some degree he's frozen in time because he's been in this, in this glacier, which is, has kept him in a, in a relatively pristine condition. And, and then obviously you have the, the ceremony where you sort of say goodbye to, to him, to his physical form. And, you know, all that trauma and pain reemerge, which then brings us kind of back after you've done this expedition to this talk you gave, which came thereafter. And the thrust of this talk, this TED talk you've given, and I'd recommend anyone check it out and you know, vulnerability is, is such a hot topic. And for example, obviously, Brené Brown is owning this space to some degree, but um, she came to it through research, academic research, right? You've come to it through a very personal story, through very personal experience, through your own very direct trauma and that of your families as well. But you spoke very powerfully about about radical vulnerability, about facing trauma. And actually, there's this beautiful line. I'm just, I've written it down here where you said, if we can't analyze, treat, and clean our own wounds, how can we ever hope to heal? So just, can you just share what you learned about vulnerability, about the power of vulnerability to face your shadow, to face trauma, to move through trauma. Because like I said, with you it's and your story, it's feature film stuff, obviously, but we all go through it. So I think that what you've learned and what you can share really can be useful for anyone because we all have these traumas that we, that we tuck away. Like I said, in Britain, the stiff upper lip, you know, I know in our family, sweep things under the carpet. Don't go there, leave them there. But the problem is the carpet just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until one day you trip over it. So can you just share what you've learned about radical vulnerability and, and its relationship to trauma and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think that I found it through storytelling, which was one of the the themes of my TED Talk as well. And through placing myself as a pivotal character within my own story for the first time in my life. You know, that's what I did on that stage. Yeah. Rather um, than as a bystander, which you'd been up rather to than just an observer, you know, yeah. someone who, you know, caught who up cares, in the story, who yeah. cares what you feel or think, you know, yeah, that, sure, that yeah. kind of mentality, which you know, probably is how most of us feel, you know, maybe you talk to your spouse or your very closest friends or family in your life about difficult things every once in a while, maybe when you're a couple few too, too many drinks in or something like that. But it is 
it's difficult to access that headspace and that perspective to look in on your own experience without seeing yourself as an important figure and character within your own story and within the story of the world you inhabit. And when I did that on the TED stage, and then as I continued to do that, as I worked on Torn, you know, that's when I really began to understand the power of vulnerability for myself, but also for the people around me. You know, I, I think that the exercising of vulnerability is usually a selfless act. You know, I think that we oftentimes do it because we want to help someone who we deeply care about find the perspective that we perhaps think we see. And I think that's also a large part of why I made Torn. You know, I, I recognize that this could be a powerful tool for myself in exploring this shadow that I saw on that stage in Hatch and this trauma that I was still carrying. But I also wanted to do it because I wanted to show Conrad how much he's meant to us in life and how much he has given us as a family. And I wanted to show my mom that even though Alex was the love of her life, you know, this irreplaceable man, like the life we've lived with Conrad has been a remarkable one and also just open it up for my brothers you know who were so young when alex died you know i was young but they were very young almost too young to even really have any real memories of who he was as a man and those sorts of things are just not things that you have the capacity to really open up on a day-to-day -day basis just over a casual conversation you're not like hey dad do you want to come downstairs and like look through these old journals from your best friend who died 17 years ago and talk about what he meant to you and <laughs> what you mean to me right now in my life. That's a conversation that's hard to wrap your head around without placing it in this greater ambition of telling a story about you and your life. Sorry, Max, just to quickly jump in then, but just I'm slightly conscious of time. For people then perhaps who haven't the opportunity or yeah. the skill to be able to make a feature film about their own trauma, what have you though learned about vulnerability and, and its ability to help you move through that? Because I come back to what you said about losing faith in love, your ability to give it, to receive it. And a quote that I've heard or certainly a variation of a quote I've heard is that fear, sadness, grief, trauma are all kept in the same chamber of your heart as love, joy, um, you know, all those things. So you can't have one without the other. So, yeah, I just no. wondered at what wisdom you might have as someone who has directly faced trauma of a very powerful kind what advice you would have for anyone who, who has their own trauma that is buried in them that they don't know how to face? Well, I think that, uh, I think that trust is the key to that chamber. You, know, you have to trust that it's okay to open up about your fear and trauma and the dark things. You have to be open to facing those things and trust that it's going to be okay to have access to 
love because love is love is one of the things in life that that we require the most trust to believe in and feel for anyone i think you know in my experience in losing alex you know i i held this undying love and admiration for him as his son and you know when i packed away the trauma of his death i also packed away my ability to trust and love um and so i i think that trusting that when you open up about these sorts of things people are going to reciprocate that is is one of the most powerful things you can do talking about these things in your life that make you feel self-conscious and trusting that walking through the pain and the fear is going to be worth it is the same trust that you need to find to walk into opening up your heart to love yeah and the way to it is through is through the hurt is through the pain yeah. you can't you can't get to it round it can you you have to go through it no yeah it's all or nothing yeah it's a hundred percent or zero percent you have to kind of just open it all up and you have to be willing to deal with everything to really get through get through and move move on to the to the next phase and when we're children as you were when Alex died, we're less able, I think, to cope with really extreme emotions, hence that shutting down, which I'm sure still happens uh, as we get older. And oftentimes it seems to me that people could be unaware even that they have, they're carrying this trauma around. And I got that impression even a bit from you for, for many years after what happened before your 11th birthday, Yes, you had this trauma, but it was somewhat unconscious. So, you know, tapping into those those shadow parts of ourselves that perhaps we've squirreled away out of our conscious awareness, what would you say about being able to retrieve them, if you like, and face them? Well, I mean, we don't, we don't want to admit to our weaknesses and fears. We're trained by our egos to believe that we are the best version of ourselves and the pieces that we don't like about ourselves, those dark pieces that we hide away, that's not who we are, but that's not the case. Like whether or not you're able to acknowledge and recognize that you are all of the sum of your experiences in life, the good parts and your the beautiful parts, but you're also the trauma and the things that you regret and the things that make you afraid, you know, those, those things are going to be there influencing how you move through life one way or another. Yeah. And it's when you acknowledge them and put a name to them and start to try and understand them that you actually have a little bit more control over how they impact who you are, I think. And so acceptance of everything is key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Yeah, I it still is. struggle with it. You know, I, I don't claim to be an expert. I don't claim to have moved on from it. You know, Torn was an exploration of it for myself and for my family. 
And it's something that I'll continue to reconcile for the rest of my life, I'm sure. I can't imagine what it's going to be like to look back and watch Torn when I'm an old old man, hopefully, if I make it there, and continue to explore this experience for myself. But yeah, I think it's just step by step, you know. Yeah, and you've taken some big steps, you know, whether it be getting up and that festival and, you know, coming out in tears and realizing that you had all this trauma in you through to sharing that to a big audience at the TED Talk and I'm sure encouraging and empowering other people to face their own trauma through to making this film, which is another step along the way. And and just to sort of round it all off, Conrad, who has been essentially your father for the majority of your life, the process of making this film and of facing these tough questions and of asking these tough questions of all your family and everyone opening up. And there's that comment, isn't there, where your brother, I don't know why you'd want to make this film when we haven't even spoken about it ourselves. But actually, by the end, you realize, well, you know, the fact that you've done this has been so cathartic. And there's that scene at the end where you really um, open up and express your love for Comrade and what he's done for you and your brothers and and your mother. What was that like for you and how cathartic do you think it was for you and him? I mean, it, it wasn't like the first time I'd ever told him I loved him. Um, but after going through the experience of making the film and at that point I'd been working on it for a few years and we had just shot the scene with my mom where we went through all these old letters. Mm of Alex's to her as well as these letters that Conrad had wrote her after Alex's death. And that letter that my mom reads in the film about him wanting to be there for us as we become men. Um, and that's when it truly hit me how much, not only how much he cared for us, you know, I, I think that for a long time, maybe I thought that he felt like he was stuck with us, you know, like this initial grief and uh, trauma had kind of saddled him with an obligation to take care of us. That's kind of what I thought mm. he felt. And to see not only how much he truly cared about my mom, but also me and my brothers and us having a father figure going forward, at least however much he he could deliver, you know, he's a, he's a very humble person. And, and so he's not going to say openly how much he's brought to our lives, but I felt like I needed to just tell him how much yeah. I appreciated it. Yeah. You know? Right. Final question for you, Max, it's got to be a real quick one. Cause I've got to let you go sadly, but outside of the, the film, which is epic outside of your own story in terms of broader themes, in terms of something you've learned that anyone could think, okay, th this could relate to my own life. Is, is there any one thing that springs to mind about getting the most out of life, out of living a good life, out of perhaps freeing all that stuff in our heart that, that you could share just as a final thought? Well, I mean, I think that um, knowing the risks in life, you know, knowing that there is a balance to strike in whatever we do, whether it's mountaineering or filmmaking in my case, or 
making podcasts in your case, you know, you're going to chase something for yourself. It's inevitable. And you shouldn't tag yourself for that. That's something that everyone needs to do for themselves. But at the same time, you know, you need love. We all need love. And realizing that balance and the fact that you're going to struggle with it for the rest of your life probably is something that we should all reconcile sooner than later because it's a joy. It's one of the hardest things that any any of us will do in our lives probably, but if you can find it in yourself to hold love in your heart and for people close to you who hold you up as you hold them and pursue something that makes you feel whole. That's why I still to this day don't hold any resentment to Alex because he was doing it up until the end. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And to to get to that love, you've got to face your trauma, which is clearly something that you've done and radical vulnerability and go and check out that ted talk by the way radical vulnerability is certainly the way to do it anyway max Lowe, it's been a pleasure talking to you congratulations again your film it was outstanding and uh, just really lovely talking to you so thank you yeah thank you so much for the time appreciate it Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Lessons with Max Lowe. I really enjoyed this conversation and think this theme of radical vulnerability, of facing and accepting pain, if we're also going to experience love and joy, is a vitally important one. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Get in touch via social media or via my website, simonmundy.com. And I would highly recommend watching Max's film, Torn. Just a reminder before I go to sign up for my newsletter on my website, some of the best nuggets and life lessons from over three years of these conversations. That's also at simonmundy.com. And a small request, if you could leave a kind rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, I'll be immensely grateful. It does make a big difference. That's it for now. Until next time, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.